Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Colin Quinn. We'll start, as we always do, with the region's news. An ongoing dispute between Japan's central government and local officials on the southern island of Okinawa over where to build a new U.S. military base went to court on Wednesday. Japanese government lawyers filed a lawsuit that aims to force the Okinawan governor to let construction go ahead for a new facility. Recent satellite imagery indicates that a new tunnel is being built at a nuclear test site in North Korea. The same site has seen three underground nuclear tests in the last nine years. In Washington, the International Monetary Fund's leadership voted in favour of adding China's renminbi to a special basket of exchange currencies. It will now be added to the IMF's special drawing rights, composed of additional foreign exchange reserves, beginning in October 2016. In Sydney, China is receiving the blame for a cyber attack against the Australian Bureau of Meteorology's computer servers. The Bureau's supercomputers are connected to a variety of sensitive networks in the Australian government, including the Defence Department. Officials said the motive for the breach could be commercial or strategic, and that it would cost millions to repair the damage. In Manila, the leading candidate for next year's Philippine presidential elections, Grace Poe, was disqualified this week by the National Electoral Commission for failing to meet the residency requirement. In late November, 39% of people polled said they planned to vote for Ms. Poe, who was ahead by 15 points over her nearest rival. Ms. Poe said she would appeal the decision, claiming she had met the 10-year residency requirement. And that's the news. In our feature conversation this week, we turn to the topic of North Korea's cyber capabilities. Just over a year on since last November's hack of Sony Pictures Entertainment, the Hermit Kingdom's hackers have received little public scrutiny. While the United States and many organizations, including multinational companies, have sought to limit cyber attacks from China, including an agreement between Presidents Xi Jinping and Barack Obama reached in September to limit commercial hacks, North Korea remains beyond dialogue. Dr. Victor Cha, Senior Advisor and Korea Chair at CSIS, recently sat down with my colleague and Asia Policy blog editor, Jeff Bean, to discuss the findings from a new report on North Korea's cyber operations. Hi, my name is Jeff Bean, editor of the CSIS Asia Policy blog, Kajit Asia. My guest today is Dr. Victor Cha, Senior Advisor and Korea Chair here at CSIS, as well as a professor at Georgetown University and director of the Asia Studies Center uh, at Georgetown. Uh, I'm going to talk today about a new study that Victor's team has put together uh, looking at North Korea's cyber capabilities. And this project has been ongoing for the last six to eight months with Scott LaFoy, Jenny Jun, and Ethan Song as the primary authors, and then Dr. Cha and Jim Lewis, also here at CSIS, as sort of senior advisors for the project. So we're now uh, just over a year on, uh, Victor, from uh, North Korea's or the public, sort of the public announcement of the Sony hack uh, against uh, Sony Pictures by North Korea. What have you and your team learned about North Korea's cyber capabilities and operations through your study? Um, well, thanks, Jeff. So the uh, the study uh, was ongoing for about a year. We, we actually got the idea to do it just after the hack of Sony Pictures Entertainment. And There are a couple of things we found. The first thing that we found was that there was really very little knowledge, um, scholarship, studies of uh, Sony's cyber, uh, of North Korea's cyber capabilities. Um, uh, There were occasional news reports. There was uh, obviously a lot of work done on China, 
and China's cyber capabilities, but very little done on North Korea. And to the extent that assessments exist, they tended to underestimate North Korean capabilities. So uh, when we saw what happened with Sony Pictures Entertainment, and then we saw prior to that the uh, other hacks against South Korean commercial institutions, banks, and other institutions in South Korea, we thought it'd be a good time to undertake, uh, to undertake this study. And in terms of uh, the, the study itself, one of the fascinating topics that you guys addressed that uh, I thought was really interesting is this the development of by Pyongyang and the North Korean leadership of not just the hardware and software related to cyber capabilities, but the human capital that is needed to conduct these kind of operations. What sort of insight do you have in terms of, of how they were able to put together teams of people to work on this? Well, it's a good question. And, and um, the first thing that I would say is that uh, in, in terms of very specific things like the hardware, the, the people, who they are, who's training them, we still have very not, little knowledge on that, even after the study that we did. We spent basically a year uh, looking at all sorts of materials that we could get our hands on, uh, all in the public domain because this was an unclassified study. Uh, but we went and did interviews, um, uh, people in both the public and private sector in the United States and in South Korea, uh, in other places. And so in spite of all that, we, we can't give sort of the, the, um, the, 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 the sort of diagram of all the individuals, you know, in the different cells who are involved. Um, uh, having said that, though, we, we, can, we, we can say that this has been a very concerted effort, a national effort, on the part of the North Korean government to develop this capability. It's a national effort, just like the nuclear weapons program is a national effort, and just like the ballistic missile program is, is a national effort. Um, and it is very much a part of, in our view, um, the, uh, an basically a, a strategy of asymmetry that the North Koreans are pursuing. They pursue nuclear weapons not as weapons of the strong, they pursue them as weapons of the weak. It's the only way that you can counter the United States or South Korea is by seeking these, these sorts of capabilities. It's the same thing with cyber. I think cyber very much falls into that category for North Korea. And if they have as much success with the cyber capabilities as they've had with the nuclear programs, I think we're in for a lot more in terms of the North Korean threat in this other dimension. How should we think about uh the utility of cyber attacks uh, to the leadership, either as a tool for provocation, uh, as you mentioned, or, or potentially for espionage. What is it about cyber in particular that is appealing? Um, well, I think there are a couple of things. The first is, I think, from the perspective of the leadership, they see this as a new dimension for them. Um, uh, in addition to, as I said, ballistic missiles, nuclear weapons, WMD in general. The um, our study found that the institutions in which these uh, the cyber operations are managed are institutions uh, within the North Korean military that are primarily associated with other past North Korean provocations, including the submarine, uh, submarine sinking of the South Korean naval vessel in 2010, the shelling of the islands, uh, other sorts of provocations um, are very much a, um, uh, are all housed in the same entity in, uh, inside of North Korea, um, which leads you to believe that this they see this capability not so much for industrial espionage, uh, but they see it largely as a capability that they will use to try to disable, to try to provoke, 
um, to try to coerce, um, uh, as they do with artillery and as they do with their, their, uh, their other weapons. I think for the North Koreans, this particular capability is of interest to them because it's more stealthy. Um, and uh, one of the very practical problems I think they face after 2010 is that um, there is a very strong South Korean reaction now to North Korean kinetic, North Korean kinetic provocations that kill South Korean citizens or South Korean um, uh, officers or, or, or uh, uh, military recruits. And so, uh, you know, they, I think, are looking for another way to coerce and provoke and disable that does not necessarily include the loss of life. Um, and, and so I think that's another reason they're interested in this capability. But again, our study found that the institutions in which they manage the cyber capabilities are the same as those from which they manage military coercion. And so that gives you a sense of how they want to use this, this capability in the future. And in terms of the course of your study, probably came up with recommendations for what the United States, uh, South Korea, other like-minded countries, not to mention corporations that are uh, potentially, uh, potentially facing a threat from uh, North Korea's uh, cyber operations. What sort of um, suggestions or recommendations would you have for preventing or deterring uh, these type of attacks from North Korea? Um, well, the question of deterrence or preventing uh, North Korea is not is obviously not a question uh, limited to North Korea. I mean, this is a big discussion that's happening more broadly in the cyber world about how you deter, how you respond to, how you prevent cyber cyber attacks. And so that's an area where our the other senior advisor on this, uh, Jim Lewis, you know, he has a lot to say on this sort of thing, and his input was very helpful to to the study. Um, uh, in terms of specific measures, there are a number of things. I think th the first thing is that one of the reasons we did this report was that everybody has to take this seriously, right? I mean that we cannot sort of underestimate this capability. And if the Sony Pictures Entertainment hack doesn't demonstrate that, um, then then uh, then our report at least should show that this is actually a very serious issue that we need to the United States government needs to take seriously. Um, secondly, the United States and South Korea already have established two different dialogues on cyber defenses. Um, and from our perspective, the, in both administrations should give much more political attention and political weight to those dialogues because I think they're very important uh, in, terms of, uh, in, in terms of trying to come up with mechanisms to respond to uh, and defend against North Korean cyber attacks. Uh, the third is the sharing of information. There needs to be a lot more sharing of information between governments about uh, past cyber attacks, as well as, to the extent possible, public and private sector sharing of information. Um, a lot of these targets in South Korea have been uh, private sector targets as much as they have been public sector. So sharing between public and private sector in South Korea and then across the two governments, I think, uh, would also be very helpful. In, in, in trying to sort of build a basis for how uh, we deal with the next uh, North Korean cyber attack. Victor Chow, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And that was Victor Cha. In our One to Watch this week, we turn to India's efforts to lighten the load for its students through inspections of their backpacks. Maharashtra's state's education officials will commence random checks this week to ensure that primary school students are not forced to carry overweight bags. The new rules say that school bags cannot weigh more than 10% of a child's own body weight. 
If schools violate the rules, they could face court action. State officials point out that carrying heavy bags exhausts students before they even arrive for classes and can cause injuries to their spine and joints. Some schools have argued they need more time to adapt to the changes, while other schools have installed lockers, initiated textbook sharing programs and built water fountains to reduce the burden. And that's our show for this week. You can always find more at cogitated.com and csis.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out our island tracker and maritime-specific analysis on the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, or AMTI, microsite. I'm Colin Quinn. Thanks for listening.